So I'll say mambo vipi, and you reply poa poa, okay? Mambo vipi? You got to do it louder, because Swahilis, they, they have a lot of energy. So mambo vipi? And all it means, how are you? I'm doing cool. And then you reply, yeah, I'm doing cool, all right? So that will get you a lot of um, props, especially when the police officers stop you, all right? So uh, I learned that really quickly, and then we were able to get away with a couple of um, stops by the police. So if you didn't know today was going to be Mission Sunday, it is. Uh, today is actually the conclusion of a series that we've been looking for about three months, looking at living stones, looking at First Peter and Second Peter, and I have the honor of finishing it up. So I text Matt, I think on Monday or Tuesday, and I say, hey, Matt, you know, you want to give me some pointers, like, you know, some recaps? He said, no, just preach the text. So that's what I'm going to do today. All right. So what we're going to be doing is just, there's not going to be a grand finish. It's just going to be literally just finishing on looking at the text. So before I left and I knew I had to do uh, what's going to preach, I kind of did the prepping for it and I had a couple of things. But then always in missions, there's something that's going to come up. So one of the things that I was thinking and I was praying on is what do we look for? Whether in life, whether in family and marriage and relationships, uh, in finances, in church, whether they're long-term, medium-term, or short-term. And for me... Um, as we look at life and you ask different individuals and you discuss certain things, there will be always something that people are looking forward to. Uh, one of the discussions I will have is like, I'm looking forward to being debt free in about two years and a half, right? So um, that's a great feeling, right? Just not worrying about anything else and then I can go on missions forever. Um, maybe, maybe not, right? Or for those of you that are thinking about graduating from college or successfully filling a master's or a PhD or for the high school seniors going on their uh, first year as a freshman. Uh, and some of you are maybe looking forward to being an empty nesters uh, and that feeling that goes with it that you've been accomplished and you, you know, took care of your children and they're out. But guess what? Don't cheer too much because they'll eventually return, right? So uh, lock the door twice, right? Change the codes, change the locks so they don't have to come back in in the middle of the night. Uh, looking forward to retirement, uh, getting married, like Chad just did this Saturday. So let's clap for Chad, right? <laughs> Trust me, he's not watching the sermon right now, okay? Uh, maybe you're looking forward to a new job or a new promotion, uh, getting healed from a deadly disease. I know some of our family members in church are going through that, and they're waiting and hoping for a miracle. Uh, repairing a broken relationship, whether it's marriage or children. Uh, in my case, I always just wanted to come back home, right? Twelve days away, uh, one of the things that happens when I travel is I lose my sleep. Uh, and I'm very particular about my sleeping pattern. Uh, and then it's gone, literally. It disappears. So uh, I think Danny knows that now and Ralph knows that now, right? As they woke up at 3.30 in the morning like I did to pray. No, we just woke up because we're still in Kenyan time, right? Uh, but it's one of those things. So I was looking forward to coming home, being with my wife, being with my children, and we're all yearning and looking forward to something. In every mission trip that I go, I'm always in the expectation. I know God is going to manifest himself some way or another. And this is a little bit selfish, but I know God is going to speak to me very clearly in a very concise manner. What was not prepared on this particular trip was that God was going to speak to me in less than 24 hours. I knew I had to see something. I had to go there and witness something. And I didn't know what it was. But the moment we got off, I looked to my left. I was driving to the hotel. And I looked at the slums of Mombasa. 
And Ralph remembers this particular well, and I said, I want to go there. I told the driver, I want to go there. I know what exactly what that means in terms of, like, personal safety, in terms of some of the things, the challenges we're going to face. And I said, I want to go there. Not knowing that 24 hours later, I had to be convincing the leader of Kenya to allow me to go in. So we had a, a debriefing where the teams came together. Kenya and American team came together, did a lot of building. And there was a gentleman there. His name is Gilbert. I didn't know who he was, but I heard uh, through uh, Gideon that this is an individual that came from the slum and was rescuing, working with them. And I said, that is the individual I need to talk to. So we were able to talk for about an hour as we walked, and we just, he just, just told me his entire story. His name is actually, in the streets, is actually nameless. So here's a picture of him um, right there. Okay? So nameless, as he's known in the streets, he grew up in Nairobi, but then moved to Mombasa multiple times. And then he was just escaping a very uh, physical, violent situation. And he was and became a street child, a street children, living and just trying to survive in Mombasa. So he gained his reputation through the streets because he wouldn't talk, he wouldn't share his story. So the streets gave him the name of Nameless to the point that he became renowned in Mombasa. Any major crime most likely was Nameless. So we talked and we talked and we connected and I knew his story in terms of I've seen it multiple times in other places. This is an individual that has been rescued for a specific plan. He's able to go to places where no one else can, and he's able to speak a language on the streets that are able to connect and provide a gospel in a very concise, meaningful, palpable way. So after many uh, attempts to convince that I could go into the slums, finally Gilbert said, I can take you, but I, we have to get permission to go. And once they told me again the multiple threats and the, how dangerous it was and that not many people go, I said, dude, this is what I've been born for and this is what I've been prepared for. I'm, I'll be okay. But they said no other one, no other American team can go in with you because of the dangers. I said, that is fine. But then I, I felt compelled to ask Ralph. I said, Ralph, do you want to come? And he hesitated a little bit and he said, yes. And I know for a fact that that is the reason we went. We went to a place that no one knows about and where the gospel does not penetrate as easily or as freely. And most Americans will never have a chance to go and see and witness what we saw. So what you see is just trash all over the place. And you get this really pungent smell right off the bat. You see the houses. They're not literally houses. They're just shanty towns. So the names you probably heard in rest, uh, textbooks or the Things that I taught in the past have been like favelas, shantytowns, quarter settlements, uh, comunidades. These are the poor of the poor. These are the individuals that do the, the dealing of the drugs. These are the individuals that do the uh, phone snatching. There's the purse snatching. These are the individuals that are out there trying to obtain something so they can feed their habits. So we go there and we begin to see the distress and the mental children. Some of these kids that were on drugs were as young as seven or eight. And you began to realize that there's an entire world out there that does not hear the gospel. Because we're too afraid to go into them. 
So Gilbert took my phone, started taking pictures. He said, let me have your phone just in case something happens. Nothing happened. A lot of the children were without shoes. And the first reaction about Ralph was, we need to get them shoes. And this is where, like, my, they call me dream crasher, right? I said, Ralph, you can't buy them shoes. But he said, like, but why not? Because they will take the shoes and sell them to feed their drug habit. The issue is not the lack of shoes. The issue is that they're dependent on drugs, and therefore, anything else you provide for them is not going to be enough. So we began walking and walking, and we had a great opportunity to not only share the gospel, but then we also saw a necessity to feed them. They were asking to feed themselves because, once again, the drug makes them numb. It makes them go days without eating. So we saw an opportunity, and I look at Ralph, and I said, Ralph, you got me, right, if we need to buy food for the entire village. And he said, yeah, I got you. I mean, between us, we probably had like, I don't know, $40 at that time. So we stopped by a corner, and then he asked me, Gilbert said, can we buy them food? I said, yeah, how much is it going to cost me? He said, like, I don't know. So we began just to hand out coffee and donuts, and people just start coming and coming. So we did that twice. Here in another picture, there's, uh, I'm not going to show you, but later on. And that's as we fed about 40, 45 individuals with less than $14. And it's probably the only meal they had for the entire day. So what are you looking forward to? Right? What is it that you're hoping for? These children are just hoping to get the next fix. They're not even thinking about food or they're thinking about shoes or education. They just want to feed the drug they have. So let's turn our Bibles and let's look at what the hope and what should we be looking for, whether we're in the slums of Mombasa, we're in the mean streets of Silver Spring or the affluent communities of Bethesda, Rockville, or Silver Spring. So we turn and we look at our Bibles and we look at first, uh, 2 Peter 3, 13, 14. It begins to tell us what our hope should be and what should we be looking forward to. So if you have your Bibles open, right? It's a great gift because you have it in your language and you're able to have it in your hands. Uh, there are many communities in um, Kenya that does not have the Bible in their own hands and it's not accessible to them. So when we look at the first point in this verse and we look at this message, what is the things that we're looking forward? Now Peter, in 2 Peter 3, 13, 14, towards the end, he says, but according to his promise, we are waiting. For what? For new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So as you read this, write down or underline a couple of words. Underline waiting, because that would be repetitive multiple times, not only in verse 13 and 14. So as I am looking forward to a new heaven and new earth, the Bible tells me I should wait for the second coming. Now, verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, which connects back to the verses on top, be what? Be what? Diligent to be found by him without spots or blemish and at peace. Now, this is a very difficult imagery. I'm hoping for a new earth. I'm hoping for a new heaven. But as I am waiting here in this corrupt sinful heaven, I mean earth, with all this poverty and all this inequality and all these hardships, I need to prepare myself and be diligent. So when God comes and finds me, 
I should be what? Spotless and blemished and at peace. Now, it is very difficult to achieve. Think about as you're waiting for your wife to get ready because you're going on a date. She selects multiple dresses. She selects multiple jewelry. She comes out and says, what do you think about this outfit? And then husbands, you have to lie, right? And you say, oh, it looks great, right? And she goes back again and goes forward and backwards, right? Until she finally finds the outfit. Now, God is telling us in his letters, especially in 2 Peter and 1 Peter, this warning, constant warning, be aware, be diligent, be cautious. I'm reminding you of to be spotless and blemished and at peace. Now, the word diligent means having or showing care of consciousness in one's work or duties. So our duty in our work as Christians is to prepare for the day when Jesus returns. Amen? We don't sound very convinced. And that is the problem. We know his promises. We know that he's coming. But guess what? When is the last time you thought about his return? When is the last time you actually process that all of this is temporary? It's meaningless. It's worthless because there is a greater hope when he comes. But we have shifted the mentality where this is it. This is our heaven. This is where our treasures are. This is where we begin to create our kingdoms. But knowingly very well, this is all short-lived and eventually will disappear. So the first point is, what are you looking forward to? The scriptures tells me that we should be looking forward to that moment when he comes back. With new heavens and new earth. But in the meantime, I should be conscious of his return. The second point is, he is coming whether you want to, whether you prepare, whether you believe it or not, he is coming. And I know it's difficult to think about heavenly things, especially when we return our news app and we turn on the television and we check the Facebook feed or the Twitter feed or the Instagram feed or whatever feed that we check and we just see this world completely collapsing. We were in Kenya when the tragedy at uh, Ovalde, Texas took place. We started getting the news. And I was praying that our team would not be able to read the news because I knew immediately their minds would go to the children here in the United States. Or we see the tragedy in Ukraine with, uh, with Russia. Or how expensive prices, I mean, like, I literally, I gasped. I was gone for 12 days and gasoline jumped 50 cents. I was like, man, right? Or we think about Buffalo or like the last two days or three days, if you've seen the news with the SBC reporting on sexual assaults, 245 pages of pastors, leaders, youth leaders that have been convicted of sexual harassment and sexual assaults 245 pages. But he is coming. He is coming no matter where our mindset is. For that, let's turn our pages, our Bibles to Revelations. And I'm going to expand a little bit on Revelations so we can get a little more context and a little more detail about what is to be expected in his second coming. 
So if you look at Revelations 21, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Remember, the language is going to be very similar in terms of what we read in 2 Peter 3 and 13. So it starts in Revelations 21.1 and says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Same language, same parallels. And for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepare as a bride adorned for her husband. And then we read 3, 4, and 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God. Dwelling in the same language used in 2 Peter 3.14. Parallels. So you can connect the dots there. It is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who has seated at the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That is the promise. That we will have a new beginning. That is what we should look forward to. Our tears will be wiped away. There will be no death, nor diseases anymore, and God's righteousness will dwell in us, and we will dwell with him. Now, but once again, on Sunday morning, when you come through the doors, are you thinking about his second coming? I know I'm not. I barely woke up this morning, right? I mean, I've been up since 3.30, but you get the drift, right? Like we had to wrestle with our child this morning just to get him here today. So we're not thinking about this promise, this promise that God will come back for us. They will provide things that will be new for us because we're still focusing on what's on earth. One of the things that we take away from missions as we go through and look at the stories, and this morning, you know, I got caught talking about missions in the, uh, downstairs and then upstairs, and I didn't want to. Um, but people ask, you know, how did it go? So, you know, I, t- I told Tuli, this is just day one. It took 10 minutes, right? We were there for 12 days. You know, uh, I was there yesterday with Courtney, right? And she asked me the same thing. And I'm like, please don't ask, right? Because it's just like, it just, it never ends. And in some cases, I'm very conservative to the things that I say because there are things that I witness and there are things that I cannot necessarily explain. My wife is telling me, oh, you're going to tell me all the stuff that happened. I was like, I'll try, right? as I'm trying to sleep (laughs) most of the time. But one of the things that we take away is that the joy the Kenyan team has in uh, professing their faith and how secure they are in their salvation and how joyful they are in saying, God is coming. Come with me. Like we taught them how to use the bracelets. Oh, my Lord, you should see them in action. We stop to get sodas, and next thing we know, we're praying over a security guard. Right? We stop at uh, the hotel, and Annalisa and Bonnie and Ty are praying over, you know, someone that cleans our rooms. But, and then the question starts asking, why is it that we don't do that on a regular basis? Why is it that we don't look forward to his second coming and share with the news with other individuals? 
Why does it seem so impossible in America to do that? And I was more like a psychologist, right? Why can't we do this in North America? And I was like, well, there's a lot of issues, right? People are comfortable. People don't want to hear about God. They don't want to be interrupted. Imagine stopping someone and saying, do you mind? I'll give you a bracelet, right? Let me tell you five things about Jesus. Right? What do you want from me, right? So you begin to think about what is it that we possess, this treasure that we have, the good news that we have, the salvation that we have been given freely. But we don't share it. Yet we share on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok a whole bunch of other stuff. But salvation in North America in this comfort zone that we have created becomes almost an impossible task. So we saw over and over and over again how we were walking in the Spirit. Ralph could not move from the bed, okay, on day number four, I think. Day number three, we left him. We said, you know, get some rest, hydrate, we'll come back. He goes and eats breakfast. We're getting ready because they're picking us up at 9 o'clock. Next thing I know, he's just bending over in the bed saying, I got cramps. I'm lightheaded. I don't feel good. I'm nauseous. And I said, well, rest. I'll see you later. <laughs> right? I got to be there at 9. Right? So I left him. Next thing I know, the team comes back and said, we just went into the room. We prayed for Ralph, told him to take his medicine and get out. You know, like they activated, right? That was a joke in the, in, the, in the trip, right? They activated the prayer team, right? And there he goes. Ralph had no other issues for the rest of the trip. So we began to think about what are we looking for? His second coming is, will arrive whether we want to or not. But then we began to ask questions. In the meantime, as I wait... God asked me to be diligent, to be mindful, to be actively waiting for his second return. And the question is, how do we do that? Now, in 2 Peter 3.17, it tells us, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now, that's... A lot of connectivity there, but he's talking about the false prophets, the false teaching, uh, which connects back to First Peter and Second Peter. But he says, as we're actively waiting for his second return, make sure that you are secure in your faith. Make sure you're actively pursuing him diligently so you know and are prepared to share. But then still doesn't give us the answer, how do we prepare for all of this? So I would like you to turn with me on 1 Thessalonians 5. And there is lots of verses there, and I don't have time to go into it individually. But just write it down, take it home, and as you begin to think about and pray all, am I looking for his second return? How do I prepare for that? So 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 to 22, it gives us a list of things that we should be doing actively, regularly. So it reads, and we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 
Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. There's a to-do list there, right? So as we wait for his second coming, you and I need to be actively pursuing, actively sharing, actively seeking his righteousness. So the whole series has been about being living stones, which dates back or goes back to 1 Peter. And when we think about living stones, we need to think about living like living stones. We need to be thinking about being a form where individuals see us and they see Jesus being manifested through us. Not by the, only the ways that we speak, but also how we carry one another. And this takes us back to the gospel. So when we begin to finish up 2 Peter uh, 13, 18, we begin to see that it goes back to the original, the original idea of the gospel. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Jesus is coming back for us. It is promised that he will return. His great love, his return makes me want to live fully for him. But not just fully for him, but also in communion as a community of believers that are constantly going out and sharing his gospel. Loving our neighbors, loving him. We know that we have eternal life in him. Amen? We have guaranteed that. But what do we do with that treasure? What do we know with that assurance and that salvation that we possess? Will you be afraid to go into the slums of Mombasa and share, share the gospel with these teenagers or prostitution or kidnappers or robbers or murderers or gangs? Right? But we begin to think about what is it that we're looking forward to. We are reminded over and over again that we should share this treasure that we possess. We should be looking forward to his second coming. We should be actively waiting on him. But more importantly, we should turn to Christ. Dive deep into his scripture and prayer. And one of the discussions that we've been having lately uh, with the team is, there's things that they saw that they never saw before. And that most likely is going to create a faith crisis. It's also going to activate them to pursue certain answers. And I told them, you have to pray. You have to be diligent to God to provide the peace of mind so you're not constantly just questioning everything that you saw or your witness. And then why can't you see it in North America or in the United States? Because then that creates disappointment. When you walk through the doors on Sunday and you don't see healing or miracles taking place. Then you begin to question, whoa, ho, ho, ho. Why is God actively and his Holy Spirit actively functioning 
in these parts of the world, but not necessarily we don't see it, quote unquote, in North America. It is more about a question of us than about the location, per se. So today, as we take communion, it's a good reminder to know that the gospel assured us and the gospel motivated us to pursue him, but also to share the gospel with other individuals that don't know him. Close your eyes in this morning and begin to think and analyze and examine your hearts. What are the things that we are looking for as individuals, as couples, as families? And can we say that we are living stones? Can we say that we are waiting for his second coming? That we're actively waiting for him? I'll pray for us as a body of Christ that are looking forward to his second coming. But more importantly, I will pray that we are able to be assured in the salvation that we possess but also rest assured that that salvation is not to be kept in a safety deposit box. It's supposed to be shared freely with those that don't know Jesus. Father, this morning we come to you in many cases with broken hearts, maybe questioning our faith, looking for answers, maybe not rejoicing in you, Father. Or maybe we have found new joys in your faith and the word and prayer and testifying and sharing the gospel. Whatever it is that we are, Father, we are reminded today that we're looking forward to your second return. That your second return is guaranteed. You are coming back. And we should be actively waiting for you like living stones. And as we take communion today and we're reminded of the sacrifice that he did in the cross, in 1 Corinthians, he reminds that, that when we take of his communion, we're announcing to the world of his second return. We're announcing that he's coming back. Father, I pray this morning that we dwell in you, that we delight in you, and that we seek you with all our heart, our mind, our spirit, and our strength. Let's eat of his bread this morning.